The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PKD Podcast helps me discuss the music of Pokemon Conquest for the DS. This quirky crossover gave us a lot to talk about, including instrumentation, Japanese history, and a much more recent Pokemon game. On top of all that, there's a game discussion after the outro that covers much of the same. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKA Podcast. And we're continuing our journey through the music of Pokemon side games. Uh, we're in Generation 5 at the moment. And we've come to Pokemon Conquest for the Nintendo DS. So this is a, a pretty interesting game in terms of its lineage and such, because of course this is a crossover between Pokemon and the Nobunaga's Ambition series of games. Two worlds colliding there, I guess you could say. As far as uh, when this game originally came out, let's see, it came out in 2012, regardless of where you live. <laughs> in Japan, it came out in March. In North America and Australia, it came out in June. And then Europe had to wait just a little bit longer. They had to wait till July of 2012. Now, it was produced by Tecmo Koei, I think, uh, or Koei, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but Koei, uh, or Koei, happens to be the the side that Nobunaga's ambition comes from. I'm not as familiar with them. I am familiar with Tecmo for their uh, Ninja Gaiden and uh, some of their, their early sports games on the NES. Tecmo Bowl is one of those. But And uh, before we get too much further, do you anything you want to say about these particular companies, since it is new to this series? Right. Yeah, I admit I'm not super familiar with them myself. Um, I Again, it's kind of like I've heard of a lot of these games, but I never really played any of them and, and kind of like never really got to know them and the kind of games they do until they crossed over with Pokemon Conquest. So as far as a marketing strategy, it really worked in that sense. Yeah, so like I said, I was more familiar with Tecmo as a company based primarily on their NES output from back in the day. That was what I kind of knew there. So they announced this game, like I said, it was either very late 2011 or early 2012, uh, a few months before it came out in Japan. Um, I guess I should ask, Anne, were you familiar with the Nobunaga's Ambition series prior to this crossover? I had heard of it, and um, I'd also heard of Samurai Warriors, which is kind of, I think, along a similar line. I'd heard of it, but I had never played it. Yeah, I, I had definitely heard of it. I think I had seen copies of, like, like it goes back to the 80s. Uh, there's a version of Nobunaga's Ambition on the original NES, and I think it actually goes back a few years before that as a computer game. Doesn't surprise um, me. <laughs> so I have seen, like, cartridges and stuff of it out in the wild and so on. So I was at least vaguely familiar with it. I knew it had uh, a tie-in to Japanese history and all that stuff there. So I was definitely interested. I definitely picked this up. When it came out, I actually didn't finish it back then. I actually got through to the very end of the initial quest. There's a reason I'm not calling that the main story and calling it the initial quest. We'll talk about that later. 
and to sort of put it down for a while, I think probably Black and White 2 came out around that time and some other stuff. And I finally did actually finish that initial quest for this uh, retrospective that we're doing here. And did you play this back in the day or, or what was your situation like? I absolutely played this back in the day. Like, I remember when they started announcing ads for this, and I believe, like, it was in the early days of my podcast, and I think if you go back far enough, you can hear me flipping out about it, because one thing about the Pokemon anime is that uh, they are not the slightest bit subtle in their idea of... um Pokemon trainers being like daimyo or shoguns or lords and the Pokemon being their loyal vassals or their samurai and especially like Ash being Nobunaga and Pikachu being Ranmaru like they are not subtle in the slightest so I was so excited for this game I was it just felt like the perfect mesh of um, everything Pokemon was kind of trying to do with the culture around Pokemon battling and uh, Japanese history. And yeah, I I bought it when it came out. I played through every single bonus content. I loved this game. <laughs> yeah, this game definitely has its diehard fans in, in all of this. So definitely something kind of important in that regard. And uh, just going back to the promotion briefly, actually, I think at this time in, in the black and white generation, uh, the UK band, they must have had some connections to some Pokemon people, but One Direction uh, was actually like brand ambassadors time. And I know they cut a, a promo or something for this game, which was very, very interesting. Uh, the band members were born in like the late 80s and early 90s. So they would have been of the almost perfect age when Pokemon came out. So it's not right. surprising that someone in that range, much like we see today with musicians in their 20s and 30s getting pulled in to do stuff like Pokemon 25. But I did want to kind of mention that in there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's sort of talk about then the musical production on this game in terms of who worked on it. So the name I have here is Shin Ichiro Nakamura. Hopefully I got that right. I always have to express that when I have a Japanese name. I'm never quite sure. But as far as what this person that I was able to find credits on him for... First of all, he worked on some other Nobunaga's Ambition series games, including there was a, a another game that came out on like the HD consoles a year after this one. Also some Dynasty Warriors, Dragon Quest Heroes, uh, an Attack on Titan game. And what can you tell us about him? Um, much the same. He's kind of just a, a, one of those many uh, music composers we've found who kind of just keeps to themselves and, you know, just isn't publicly having a huge profile. He does have a Twitter, though. But yeah, he does a lot of games of uh, very grand adventures like Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, Warriors Orochi, uh, The Hundred Years War, Bladestorm. Like, so just a lot of a lot of war and like big dramatic soundtracks, it seems. I, I do have his last credit as 2016. Anything more recent than that? Not that I can find, which is surprising because he, he seems to be f like rather on the young side. But it, it also could be he's, again, just doing things that are not as highly profiled and therefore it's harder to find the IMDb sort of trail. Yeah, it's also possible, you know, maybe he's had the misfortune of working on some games that have uh, been stuck in development for a while. You never know with these things, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's start to talk about the overall style. Now... Technically speaking, 
this game does not take place in literally in Japan, even so far as like the the first four generations of the main series games. They they made their own map, they made their own region, the Ransai region, but you can definitely tell there's an Eastern and uh, primarily Japanese influence on uh, this game's soundtrack, although they do take certain liberties. And uh, I'm kind of trusting you to identify some of the instruments that I'm not as familiar with the names of. Can you give us a little bit of a lowdown on your on the overall instrumentation and style of this one? Okay, so I'll I'll do that and also give you guys a bit of like the musical history of this time period because, um, as Stephen says, this takes place in a fictional version of a, a rather wild era of Japanese history, the Sengoku era, which is a, a brief period kind of nestled in between. Um, the Muromachi period and the Edo period. So about the late 1500s. Um, and this is a time when a bunch of different lords are warring with each other. And Obu Nobunaga, famous name, greatest samurai to ever samurai, comes in and, and like conquers all of Japan and unites it under one banner kind of a story. Um, how that relates to music is um, back in the Heian era before this, we saw a lot of musical culture coming in from China and Korea and India and a lot of other parts of Asia to contribute to traditional court music, which is gagaku. But now that all these wars are happening, we've broken into warring states, the power is no longer consolidated, which means the cultural influence of the court is no longer consolidated. We're seeing a lot of musical styles being shared between the classes other influences are coming in common folk music is thriving um we've we've we're also starting to get some foreign cultures not of asia like the portuguese and christianity coming in with some of their musical traditions um before all that gets shut down so in this period we've got a lot of no and kabuki style music as well. So the there's going to be three types of musical instruments that we're going to hear a lot of. We've got percussion, we've got strings, and we've got winds, flutes. So for our percussion, we're going to hear a lot of um, koto drums, a lot of small hand drums, taiko drums as well. Flute and wind tripe instruments, we're going to hear a lot of like shakuhachi. We might hear a bit of the ocarina and other like very kind of old style flutes. For string instruments, we're going to hear um, something called a sanshin from Okinawa, which kind of evolved eventually into the Chinese originated shamisen, um, which has um, three strings. We're going to hear probably a biwa, which is kind of similar to a lute, um, and a lot of other harp type instruments or banjo-like or lute-like instruments. There's like a huge variety, but like those are some. <laughs> yeah. That that being said, they don't uh, hold themselves entirely to just that. They the, there is some definite electronica influence. There are some definite synth instruments. Like not even just like obviously the DS. It's it's not all like you know uh, recorded pre-recorded audio and stuff. What I mean by that is that there's some actual definitely synth instruments in the score. Um, as well as some, maybe some more modern orchestral things as well. So it's it's not tying itself, you know, explicitly to period instruments, but there is a lot of that in there. Mm-hmm. All right, well, as is usual around here, we've each picked out three songs. Let's see, I picked out the Aurora or Normal Kingdom battle theme, Dungeon Theme 4, which is used for some of the cave areas, 
and the Valora or Steel Kingdom battle theme. Anne, uh, what did you pick out for this one? So I picked the Electric Battle, the Poison Battle, and the Staff Roll, and I did not write down which those first two kingdoms were in. I was going to, and then I didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> That's okay. I'll help the folks at home out here. Thank you. Uh, the Electric Kingdom is called Violite, and the Poison Kingdom is called Viperia. At least we assume that's how those are all pronounced. Uh, we obviously don't have, as usual, we don't have an official soundtrack release or anything like that. So some of these titles are inferred and whatnot, and you might see different names out there. But hopefully this gives you a pretty good idea. All right, well, we'll start with one of my picks. We like to go in roughly game order. Um, so we'll, my first one is the Aurora or Normal Battle uh, music. Um, of course, Aurora is where you start the game. It's your kingdom when you start the game with your Eevee and so on. So this is obviously a very important theme. Um, sort of what I noticed about it, it kind of has an interesting structure. It sort of starts out with this sort of uh, announcement intro. Like, I, I don't know how else to kind of describe it, but it sort of has that. Uh, as far as instruments, you know, it has some of the stuff you would expect. It has a, a woodwind lead, but it also has some synth. Um, I have a few other thoughts, but Anne, why don't you tell us about your first impressions of this one? Yeah, so for this one, we got like a very strong beat and rhythm going with a, a stringed instrument and um, some very small drums playing under what sounds like, as you said, synth chords. And this um, either a flute uh, or like a shakuhachi or an ocarina. And like, I really love the little synth falling and rising notes, but also whoever's playing that flute, like it, there's just a, a flavor to how it bends through the notes. That's just got a lot of soul to it. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, this is where you start in the initial quest of the game. This is your home kingdom. So I think they they did some things like not totally out of place, but I think they worked this one perhaps a little bit different. I mean, it certainly is, like, instrumentationally, it's very different from, say, you know, the starting town themes in the main series Pokemon games, or the starting area themes in a lot of the Pokemon games. Part of that is just the structure of the game being mostly centered around battling. Mm. But um, you definitely would, would not get this confused with Pallet Town or Little Root Town or anything like that. I did kind of want to bring in one quote here. Uh, if you've played Pokemon Go, you've probably heard this one, although I think it originates somewhere earlier. Uh, but the phrase, uh, normal does not mean weak. Uh, in Pokemon Go, you'll hear some of the grunts who have normal Pokemon in there. I think it originates from somewhere else, like I said. But, you know, that's, I think, kind of the impression they were going for here is they want to say, yes, you are the normal type kingdom, but that doesn't mean you're weak or defenseless or stuff. That was just kind of a thought I wanted to put out there. Anne, any ideas of your own? I mean, I can think of several gym leaders who agree normal does not mean weak. It fits with you being like the main character and, you know, starting with your Eevee as the normal type. Like, normal type is the type that it's not really special effective against anything, but it also has very few weaknesses. It kind of gives you an even playing field and like this potential to like evolve, as it were, into whatever direction you want to defend your kingdom. Like, I don't know, it kind of fits, I, I feel like, for 
the purposes again of you just being the main character and this music sounding very strong and very able to take on whatever personality you as a player have for the battle. All right. Well, then, Anne, why don't we go to your first pick? This is Violite, the Electric Kingdom, and, and their battle theme. What kind of caught your attention here? Yeah, so um, the strings kind of caught my attention because it sound like there's um, some plucked string action going on here. And, and unfortunately, I'm not familiar enough with all these instruments to recognize them all sonically. But if it's not a biwa lute or a shamisen, it might be... Um, that instrument that's kind of like a table of plucked harp strings. I just found that uh, a very fascinating sound alongside either an electric guitar or an electric bass. And the the overall feel is something that the modern Shina Ringo, uh, a musical artist from Japan, would play. She's done a lot of stuff in her career, kind of mixing very traditional with very modern type of sounds. Um and there's definitely some synth roles, very techno-like. And then a very, like, again, traditional, classical, Japanese-Chinese kind of chord progression. The feel of the melody is very similar to a song I love called Senbo and Zakura. So it's just overall got this very beautiful fusion of classic and modern to it. Interesting. Um, as far as instruments go, I did notice this one has some what sound like electric guitars on there, which... We mentioned they kind of bend the rules a little bit on some of the instruments in here. And if you're going to do it somewhere, I guess this is going to be one of the kingdoms where you can certainly get away with it. Uh, I assume you noticed those as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, that was kind of one of the things that drew me to it. And I also like that the melody has a bit of an up and down quality to it. I mean, granted, that's kind of what a melody is, but it just that was sort of the words that came to me when I was listening to this. Anything else you want to sort of uh, put out there about this one? Um, it, it kind of has a, a cool edge to it. Um, and it kind of just gives you the feel of like, yes, this is classically inspired, but like the Ranse region and this game kind of exists in its own place. This beautiful fusion of, um, classic and modern music of classic and modern ideals because the plot of this game uh kind of makes Nobunaga look a lot more heroic than he may actually be in real life so like like I don't know just a kind of a, a a way to kind of blend modern and classic and fantasy and reality into like I don't know just a very interesting storytelling place all right well let's go on to my second pick then this is Dungeon Theme 4, and I put in parentheses, Cave. So, yes, each kingdom does have its own battle theme, but once you've sort of conquered a kingdom, uh, you can go in there and you can explore various areas that each kingdom has. Some of them will have places like where you can mine for gold or you can buy items, but they usually have at least one or two areas where you can go in and battle some Pokémon that are just wandering around there. And there may also be some NPC Pokémon as well when you do that. But those have their kind of their own set of four or five different possible themes. And one of those is indeed a very cavernous area with uh, a lot of gray stone. And I think also some poison water or something like that in there. And it has this um, very distinct theme in it. And uh, it actually has uh, a little bit, sets itself a little bit apart, I think, 
from some of the other music in the game, still within the style framework of the game. But it has a more ominous tone, and I think it's a little bit slower than most of the other music in there. And it's got a choir. And what were your sort of your first impressions about this one? Um, yeah, so oh, I had so many impressions. Like for starters, I love um the little hand drums. It sounds like it's possibly um a kotsuzumi, which is the word for the little drums I was looking for earlier that would have been used in kabuki and folk music. But I also heard like a harp-like instrument, and I tried really hard to see if I could identify it, and I I couldn't. I came down to either a kugo or a taishogoto, but it might actually even be a tonkori, which is an instrument used by the indigenous Ainu people of Japan. Like I said earlier, I'm not familiar enough to tell these by sound, but I really tried hard. And whether it is uh, the tonkori or not, like that struck me about this track that they're really pulling in a lot of different varieties of traditional Japanese instruments, not just the shamisen, not just the taiko, um, and stuff like that. And if they did manage to work in a tonkori and like, again, the indigenous Ainu people's music into here, like we're really getting a beautiful sweep of all that Japanese music is because it is so rich and deep and variety filled. And very often as Westerners, we only hear like one very stereotypical type of sound. So. Wow. I knew you'd be, uh, be very knowledgeable on this. I'm so glad I brought you into this series. Uh, I've like dusting off all my college passions that like only got half researched. So like y'all in the comments, feel free to tell me where I'm wrong. (laughs) But Yes, we do accept corrections or um, whatever there. But uh, as far as some other things that I noticed, I think, well, I I think I have a tendency to always try and point this out, but I think this one gave me a little bit of a a mystery dungeon feel that I can't really put into words beyond that. But some other things that came up with, you know, as a cave theme, there's definitely like a watch your step aspect to this, you know, as well as I think a little bit of a, like a dripping, like it might be kind of a wet cave, which kind of makes sense because I think there are some pools of poisonous water or stuff like that. And I feel like this does sort of echo that type of situation uh, while still being, you know, sort of in the realm of what you expect from from this game. Mm-hmm. Flying Without Wings is a well-written song, but its inclusion on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack is a bit odd. There is plenty of flying in the movie, but most of it clearly involves wings. If you're willing to ignore that disparity, however, there are a number of lines that do match up well. We see several friendships, familiar and new, featured in the film. You can argue that characters like Professor Oak and Slow King lead reasonably solitary lives. For that matter, you could even say the same thing about Shimudi Island itself being fairly isolated from the rest of the world. If you're looking for the most Pokemon of the lyrics, though, those are probably in the bridge, as striving towards the seemingly impossible is a running theme of the franchise. Even after that, however, there is one more parallel to be drawn. Delia winds up coming face-to-face with Ash in a somewhat unexpected time and place, at least for him. While this final part of the song may have been originally intended as being between two lovers, I find that it still works for the mother-son reunion. Anyway, the next time someone tells you this song doesn't match up with the movie, I hope you have some different ideas to give them. Thanks.
All right, well, Anne, let's go on to your second pick. This is Viperia, the Poison Kingdom, and uh, the battle theme for that. Um, I have some thoughts on my own, but I think I'll give it uh, you you the first take on this one. <laughs> okay, so this uh, track really stuck out to me because um, with all the plucked and strummed strings here, there is a very Indian or Pakistani or Middle Eastern flair to this rhythm and, and to the way the notes are plucked. And it reminds me, again, kind of what I was trying to uh, express at the very beginning of this stream, that in this time period of Japan, like they hadn't, I mean, they kind of had started to really make um, these musical influences their own, but most of the music that uh, was kind of in the central court music was all from China. It was all from India. It was all from the Middle East. It was all from Korea, Vietnam. Um, and it was kind of only slowly starting to become its own Japanese thing. And it wasn't until kind of Japan isolated itself from the world that they like really dug deep and like Japanese music became its own Japaneseiness thing. Um, so this kind of, again, just kind of taps into a period of Japanese musical history where they were being visited in the courts by people from other countries, including other parts of Asia and incorporating those things into their music like i i just uh it's just so beautiful if that was the influence but that's what it reminded me of of just hearing this very you know pakistani middle eastern flair this very indian flavor and realizing that back then in japan that might not have been at all uncommon to have heard in the courts or among the nobles um <laughs> in the all right. Well, I like, I may as well get uh, some of my stuff in there. I, I figured Anne, like I said, I figured Anne would have a lot to say on this one. But I, I put down that it had like a bit of a slithering lead. I mean, the kingdom is called Viperia, so you kind of get the snake. I mean, poison, they could have gone with something based off the word toxic or something like that as the kingdom name. But it seems like they definitely went in the area of something serpentine, something snake-like. I get that feeling from sort of the lead instrument in there. So I, I think they did that very well. Uh, Anne, anything else you wanted to point out about this track? Yeah, no, I agree with you. It has a very snake charmer type of quality to the music. So they're they're playing off of, of a theme for sure. All right, well, let's go on to my third pick. This is Valora, or the Steel Kingdom battle theme. And this one, I think, you know, compositionally stuff, like, yes, it still uses a lot of the same instruments as the other tracks here, but I think it is, again, a bit of an outlier on this soundtrack. First off, it has, as you might expect from the Steel Kingdom, a lot of metal percussion. Um, there's also some guitar, some horns, and definitely some synth in there. And it gives kind of a bit of a factory vibe, which obviously, you know, in the 1500s, we're still a ways away from the Industrial Revolution. So the closest you're going to get is probably like blacksmithing. It certainly was a thing back then, but that was definitely the vibe I got from here. Uh, and what what sort of struck you on this one? Okay, so I'm real excited about this. They may not be authentic per se, but they sound like they're definitely inspired by these bells called dotaku, which are super old, uh, usually bronze bells from the Jomon and Yayoi eras, which were like a long time ago, like 
580, 500 BC, like early, like super old eras of Japan. We don't have a lot of records of the music of those periods just because they weren't writing their musical traditions down as much. But these sound very much like recordings I've heard of dotaku bells or and I, or at least very reminiscent of them. Um, and, and it's just the composers are digging so deep into, again, Japanese musical history and um, the evidence of what came before. And these bells were probably very ceremonially used and they do kind of give you a very industrial feel, a very stripped away old feel, a, a feel of the earth, if you will, that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of have to wonder, I mean, I, I haven't listened to a ton of music from the other games in the Nobunaga's Ambition series, but I do wonder if they, if the uh, composer for this dug so deep, you know, not just because, it, like I said, it is rooted in, in Japanese history, but also because this is, well, while many of the games have been released in the West, this is one that was going to get a sort of different set of attention. I do wonder about that. Another thing I want to point out, well, this is definitely works as a battle theme. Um, I think it has more of an optimistic and like building or construction tone to it, which again sort of fits into the steel dynamic there. The you know we're 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 building something up or something like that. Did, did that uh, occur to you, Anne? Did you read something else or? I I kind of don't know if I read so much as as much as kind of. I'm going along a parallel line with you, like, because again, it does sound almost like a, a factory, a battle taking place in a factory sort of feel. Um, it just gives a very big sense of environment and kind of the, the idea of what might be important to the leaders of that area. And I'm trying to remember who it was, if it was Ina or something. I probably should have done more research on <laughs> yeah it is ina probably should have done more research on who she was in history and like maybe that has something to do with uh where japanese history was going at the time but i i do agree with you that it does sound like it's evocative of stuff other than just the battle it's also about the place and about the purpose of the area and stuff like that yeah so that's that's kind of why it stood out to me, and, and another reason it's a, it does seem to be a, a favorite of a lot of folks uh, from this game. So we seem to hardly be alone in that regard. All right. Well, once you complete the initial quest, like I said, calling it the main quest might be a little bit undersell, overselling it actually. But you do get to a staff role that you're going to hear well, really many times if you decide to 100% this game. For the most part, this is a, a medley of other tunes from the game, but. And you picked this, so what kind of uh, jumped out at you from it? Yeah, I picked it, as you say, because it's kind of got a lot of different aspects of the game to it. Like, it starts out, we got like a shamisen or a, or a like instrument going so hard, both modern and like modern um, Western classical style chord progressions. Um, and then I do hear some traditional flutes and drums in among them, but there's definitely a full orchestra and like a timpani. And then at one point there's choral voices, which reminds me of um, Buddhist chanting and the influence that had on Japanese music. Um, we get fast songs. We get like slow, serene Zen pieces. We get that are like stripped down and it's just the plucked strings and maybe like some synth or flute under it. We've got 
um, evocative battle drums and military music. We've got the court music. We've got folk music. It's this wide sweep of motifs that appear in the game and just gives this wide swath of Japanese music, what it was at the time, played alongside um, a very Western-inspired sort of music that is used in Japan today and kind of gives it a sort of to-the-future feel. I don't know, but... I, don't, I thought it was very um, interesting and very beautiful, and it like made me feel things about music, so I liked it. Yeah, and, and going back to the medley structure, I mean, obviously this is a game that is about effectively a long journey. Yes, you technically only get to see very small portions of the world up close for each of the, the major battle areas and so on and so forth, but this... Uh, Ronsai region, or however it's, how it's pronounced, it doesn't really exist. It's a little hard to say for me. You know, it is a, a large island or, or something like that. So it's a, it's, it's a considerable amount of land you're going over. So the medley kind of works as, as showing off the journey aspect, even though you only get to see little itty-bitty pieces of the, uh, of the realm or whatever you want to call it there. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's see, I usually do, at this point, uh, before we go on to our overall impressions and, and opinions and stuff, I usually mention any sound effect type stuff. I think this is a, a DS game, so most of the stuff is taken straight out of, uh, like, black and white and, and, and thereabouts. And I guess a little bit of Diamond and Pearls and some of the Pokemon are from there as well and earlier eras. So it's it's pretty standard there. I don't know that they do too much else with, like, sound effects and other stuff in the game that is especially notable. Not that it's bad or anything, it just maybe doesn't stand out all that much. As far as overall impressions, I, I do want to be very clear. I do like the music of this game quite a bit. However, when I was listening straight through the playlist of all these songs, um, it actually kind of got, not not on my nerves so much, as it sort of got, like like each song does have a unique melody to it. But it also, the instrumentation, well, there are some differences. There are definitely a lot of similarities. The music is, for the most part, high energy and, and very loud and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the structure of the game, which we'll talk about in our game discussion later. Um, but that made it actually a little bit difficult to listen straight through. Not because of the quality of the music so much, but of sort of the, I guess, consistency of it. And do you have any thoughts of your own there, or...? Um, I both agree and disagree, and, like, I agree in the sense that, like, this soundtrack is all about battling, as you say, it's very high energy, so, like, yeah, after a while, you start, like, I don't know, it, it I don't know if grates on you is the right word, but, like, it is notable that you, this, this music never has a down, down point, there is never a moment of peace and quiet, and that might not be terrible, because, um, you can turn the volume off if you're playing for a long time. But, like, it is a f quality of this game that some people may like more than others, that it, it just is high energy all the time. Um, For me, it didn't bother me so much just because I really love that kind of music, that fusion of those particular chord progressions and those instruments with the modern. Like, this is a lot of stuff I, I went through a phase where I listened to a lot of, um, as I say, Sheena Ringo and, and other, this type of inspired music where it's a, a modern techno electric vert mixed with um, very, very traditional instruments. So I don't think I ever got tired of it, but I can definitely see how like 
sometimes you want to chill and this music never, this game never lets you just sit back and um, have a moment. Yeah, there are a few lower key tracks. And I think if you go look back at my selection, particularly Dungeon Theme 4, the Cave Theme, and uh, Valora, the Steel Kingdom Theme, those are some of the outliers. Like, yes, they still fit in with the other music in the game stylistically, but they have a, somewhat of a different energy to them than some of the other stuff. Like I said, not that the music on the whole is bad. Hardly. I would hardly say that. But it is definitely more uniform than we have seen with most of the other games in terms of volume and stuff like that and instrumentation than, like I said, most of the other games, whether it's Mystery Dungeon, even the the movies we've talked about have had a little, have had more range than that. And, you know, the choice they made to have mostly high-intensity music makes sense with the theme and structure of the game that we'll talk about later. But, like, doing a, a straight-through listen, that, that can make it a little difficult. All right, well, there's a, definitely another Pokemon game we have to compare it to. So, no sign at all of this getting a remake or a sequel or even any type of re-release. Unlike the Ranger games, it did not have the fortune to be re-released on the Wii U Virtual Console or anything like that. But if you look at the map of the Ronsai region, it certainly looks like a certain legendary, or I should say mythical Pokemon, that is also prominently featured in a game that came out uh, last year in 2022. Of course, the the goal of uniting the whole region is to encounter Arceus, the um, deity-style Pokemon. And of course, last year in 2022, we had Legends Arceus, which is actually labeled as a main series game. And although there are some definite similarities, there are also some major differences musically between the two games. And uh, we'd be remiss in our duties if we didn't do some comparison. Um, first of all, Anne, I'll ask you, can you give us a little historical context? Legends Arceus, as I think most people hopefully know, takes place in a much more modern era than Pokemon Conquest. So that's one big difference. Can you sort of explain that there? Yeah, so um, Pokemon Arceus is kind of loosely based off a period of Japan um, titled the Meiji Era. And what was going on in this kind of time is Japan, like, as as I kind of mentioned earlier, it kind of isolated itself from from the rest of the world. Like, they kicked out all the white people and, uh, and, you know, were trying to kind of find their own... Um, identity uh, culturally, and we're trying not to be influenced by the West specifically. And then in the Meiji era, they kind of stopped being an isolated feudal society and kind of opened themselves up to the Western world. It's <laughs> um, a lot of good things happened with that, and a lot of bad things happened. Uh, but like, it's a period of time that like a lot of change was happening in Japan, and um, specifically a lot of musical change, like the way they taught music and the way they performed and composed and even recorded their music started to change. Um, if you've played Pokemon Arceus, you'll notice that um, a lot of the costumes, some of them look very like what we think of as traditionally Japan. Uh, Some of them look very Western. There's like three-piece suits and things. So it just, it was a very interesting and diverse and wild time. um, And also a very nationalistic time because even though they were um, kind of combating these Western ideas of what Japan should be and Western ideas of what Japanese music should sound like. They were also really building a sense of national pride, which uh, 
sometimes could be problematic in its own way. Um, it was just, it was just a wild time. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> so yeah, definitely a different historical period between these two games. That said, Legends Arceus does have some music that is people would immediately recognize as Eastern or possibly even Japanese. So there is still definitely some of that because, you know, although older music may have a different style, it never completely goes away regardless of what culture you're in. For real. Uh, but I definitely want to draw that comparison. I think we did some pre-discussion on this before the stream started. And I think Anne and I had some, I don't know, some, some further disagreements about about this. I'm not sure if we wanted to... I guess, Anne, I should ask you, anything you want to add to all of that? Since I did most of the talking in the segment, and you should probably... Uh, nothing personal, <laughs> nothing personal. No, no, it's... it's. This is definitely kind of an era where... An area where we have some disagreements on what we want it to sound like and what it did... And, and what we think about it. Like, for me, I feel... That, I think you're definitely right. Like, they go in two very different directions. One of them being, like... Pokemon Conquest is a uh, collaboration with a whole other company, whereas Pokemon Arceus is technically a main series game, so it's kind of fitting in with that main series musical framework. Um, definitely Pokemon Arceus takes a much more mystical um, sort of flavor, while Pokemon Conquest takes a very high-energy battle electric techno flavor. Um, for my part, I hear a lot of traditional Japanese musical instruments and influences in Pokemon Arceus, both like um, traditional in the sense of like dating way back to period like, you know, Heian era Japan, and also stuff that kind of uh, gives me feels of Meiji era music specifically. And it's possible that I might have a better idea of what I'm looking for when it comes to that. But I definitely feel there's a good comparison to be made of like observing how they made different routes. I think um trying to compare them and saying I think it would have been better one way or another or it or wanting it to sound more Japanese is getting into territory that I don't feel comfortable with. <laughs> Me neither. And we Not can really. get into that if you want. <laughs> But there is definitely a lot of um, similarities and differences between the two, for sure. Yeah, so I, I, like I said, this is definitely an area we kind of had to go into. And if you have thoughts on that, that's always a good thing if, if you want to share that with us. Just a reminder, if you want to give us feedback, you can always give a comment on one of these videos. You can also drop us an email, pokepress at gmail.com. And uh, our primary social media stuff is on Twitter, at pokepress. Now, normally at this point, um, not that I didn't get any feedback since our last discussion was recorded. I think it might actually be about a month ago, maybe a little less. Um, but in any case, I did get some feedback, but I didn't feel, not that I didn't appreciate, but I didn't find anything <laughs> that I think was super useful in this context. So I decided to sort of flip the script a little bit and have Anne give me a question to answer, since I usually take some of my feedback and have her give her views on it. I think we should... Uh, rotate things around right now. So Anne, uh, why don't you go ahead? What's the sort of the question you want me to answer? Okay, so it's it's less a question of feedback, but I'd like to know your opinion. Um, because as we just demonstrated, we sometimes th see things very differently. And I was musing over on my hardly ever used uh, PCAPI podcast Facebook about 
um, my love for black and white as a very socially relevant Pokemon game, and how I'm starting to get a new appreciation for sun and moon and kind of the the themes of adults and children and, and you know, what adults should be to children that are kind of explored in that game. And I was wondering, Stephen, of all the Pokemon games you've played, main series or otherwise, uh, what is a theme or um, an idea explored in them? Because most, uh, at least the main series games, have sort of a thesis statement, if you will. Um, that really sticks out to you or really resonates with you? Well, technically speaking, I think it's actually the, our next discussion on side games, which Ooh. is uh, going to be Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Gates to Infinity. Spoiler alert, we'll do the formal thing in a, in a few minutes when we get on to that. But one of the themes in that game is sort of the accumulation of negativity and negative feelings and how those can manifest in the world. And I think when we do the game discussion for that one in our next installment, I'm going to have a lot of things to say about that, especially given the time in which that game was released. But uh, talking about black and white proper, you know, the, the main series games from that era, I kind of wanted to point out that one thing they sort of talk about, those were the first games where the main reason is set somewhere outside of Japan, um, which, you know, I'm not anti-Japanese stuff in Pokemon. I want to be very clear about that. I, I think we can have a debate about, you know, how far to go in, what might be a good idea to change, what might not be. But it was the first region based on somewhere outside of Japan geographically for the main series, specifically, uh, it kind of represents all of America, but the map is based on the New York City area. And one thing that comes up time and again is the, th the theme of diversity, which is something that America has dealt with both in good and bad ways. Uh, over the years. That's certainly a fair assessment, I think. So that's a theme of those games that I really appreciate, especially coming around that time. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I have a lot of thoughts about culture leading up to now, but also starting in the, the 2010s and what I like to call the social media era and sort of how that sort of affects things and how that sort of, like how, how the Pokemon uh, franchise sort of behaved, I guess, in that era. So I don't know that that's as succinct or clear an answer that you were looking for there no that's but um wonderful like like a lot of things i say i sometimes i get a little rambly and i'm sorry for that i try to fix that <laughs> somewhat in editing oh my gosh have you heard my podcast rambling is all i do you're fine <laughs> well like i said magic of editing but uh that was sort of my thoughts and i may as well let you answer your own question there what do, what do you think oh well uh, definitely with you. I, I have a special place in my heart for black and white. And, and again, as the time it came out, I felt it was a message the world needed to hear. The, the hero of truth and the hero of ideals being complete opposites. They cannot, uh, you know, they are completely different. And yet, they are both right. They are both the hero of this story. And they have to live together. They have to live together in this world um, regardless of whether or not they agree, and how do you make that happen? How do you have two conflicting ideas that neither are wrong, neither are the bad guy, and we still have to share this world? We cannot send, say, all the Pokemon off somewhere else and all the humans off somewhere else. We have to do it together. That is something that has always stayed with me. And again, I'm starting to get a, just a bigger appreciation for sun and moon um, with the world being the way it is and the way a lot of us grownups running the world are 
arguing and doing a lot of things that we think matter, and maybe they do, but while we're fighting about it, we're ignoring and hurting the children we claim that we love and protect. And that was a big thing through Sun and Moon, was watching how children got failed by adults through Guzma, through Lusamine, whatever. And that's kind of lately been sticking out to me of like, oh, how much of the stuff that like I get really upset about and I have to fight with people and I want to change the world, how much of that is done at the expense of the kids that maybe I should be listening to who are hurting possibly because of what I'm doing or not doing. So, Yeah, definitely uh, intergenerational relationships are things that come up a fair bit in the Pokemon franchise. So, mm-hmm. yeah, actually one, one idea for like a web series I had was like video game family counseling and like uh, <laughs> Lusamine and her kids or uh, Dracula and Alucard or um, <laughs> um, some interesting ideas there. Cubone. Need I say more? Um, <laughs> uh, don't want to make too much light of folks' situations there, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as I sort of divulged in our prior, uh, just a few minutes ago, we go in North American release order. So our next game we're going to talk about is Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Gates to Infinity. This is a 3DS game. And uh, of the Mystery Dungeon, you know, five or so, or six, depends how you count, uh, this is one of the more forgotten slash maligned ones, but I think I am a defender of this game, um, and we'll find out why, both musically and otherwise, uh, when we talk about that. And did you get a chance to play this when it came out? I don't know if you had a 3DS. This is not super early in the console's history, but still, I don't know, early-ish, certainly before X and Y came out. I don't know. What, what, did it, what was your sort of experience there? I think I did not. I've... I mean, I know I've played other in the Mystery Dungeon series. I think this one might have slipped away from me. Well, at this point, your only option, if you don't have a copy of it, will be to find a used physical copies. Find a cartridge, yeah. So good <laughs> luck with that, since the uh, 3DS eShop closed a month or two before we recorded this. See if my local game shop comes through. <laughs> but we'll definitely be discussing that game, so stay tuned for that. Until then, Anne, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. All right, well, the the music gave us plenty to talk about, but we definitely still want to do our game discussion, as we usually uh, include here. So first off, I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about the theming of the game. Now, they technically made up a region. This game technically does not take place in literal Japan, like most of the other Nobunaga's uh, ambition games. But one thing I definitely found interesting about it is that there is a certain romanticism and maybe I'm misreading this like I said if I'm if I'm I'm being a cultural I don't know noob or whatever you want to call it or <laughs> misinterpreting stuff and please do let me know but it seems like there is certain reverence for the uh, this era and this era's like conflicts and stuff like that that I don't think would translate well if you tried to make like a a, a version of this game that was set in Europe or America 
Can you sort of comment on that? Am I barking up the wrong tree or? I, I definitely don't think you're wrong. I would like to caveat everything I'm about to say uh, with um, the obvious fact that I am very white and not Japanese. So I didn't go through the school system. What I have observed through uh, my college classes there and my reading and my things is, yeah, this is a period of history both by Westerners and Japan that like when you think of period Japan, immediately your mind goes to Sengoku era, 1582 Nobunaga, like the greatest samurai to ever samurai. And um, over the years, he's kind of gotten a larger than life sort of mythos attached to him and what he was doing. And especially in this game, they really kind of make him have some very noble goals in unifying Japan, which like, I, I don't want to, I didn't know him. Uh, he may have had some very noble goals, but he also was doing a lot of things for power. And his idea to unify Japan involved killing a lot of people. So there is definitely a sense within Japan that in the same way we have like, say a left and a right here in America, there are definitely people who are like, we should not be glorifying. Like it was a great, time in history, but it was also a very problematic time in history. We should not glorify war, especially with Japan's um, World War II history and like the way the Meiji era kind of led into that. I mentioned like um, some increased levels of nationalization and kind of like a embracing yet also fighting against the westernization that kind of led there. Um, there are a lot of people who are like, um, as much as this is a precious part of our history. Maybe let's not put too much reverence and, and kind of make it into something it wasn't, a romanticism, if you will. And there are also people who are like, no, like this was the time when the ideals of Bushido were like at their strongest. Like we need to go back to that. It was when we started deviating from this, shall we say, and like letting in Western ideals and things that we started to go off track and become something we're not proud of our Japanese-ness anymore. Like, so, again, I'm white. I don't have all the cultural uh, nuances for that. But, like, those are things that I have heard and read and observed in my own classes and talking to people there. So I don't think you're wrong, Stephen, in in recognizing that there is a bit of a romanticism going on in this game. And there are certain other conflicts that we also feel similarly about in our own countries of like there are people who are like this is amazing this is not amazing this is somewhere in the middle war i feel like for every country is kind of in that vein <laughs> yeah i mean it's not like there aren't things like that for for western culture particularly european medieval society i mean fire emblem is sort of set in a fictionalized version like, like it's clearly inspired by uh, medieval Europe to a degree in there with, uh, you know, knights on horseback. But like, you know, this is war. In real life, war is very violent and there are casualties. Like, obviously, it's toned down for this game because, you know, it copies over the stuff from the Pokemon main games where Pokemon do not die as a result of normal in-game stuff. They are mortal. The, the game establishes <laughs> that. But I just want to call it because I cannot... You know, maybe it's in part because, you know, the U.S. is a relatively young country compared to most other major world powers, at least in terms of its current structure. Obviously, if you know, if you count 
indigenous peoples, that goes back thousands of years here in America. But in terms of the quote-unquote United States of America and even Canada and to a, lesser, a certain extent Mexico, that only goes back to like like they started colonizing them in like the around the time where this game takes place really is when the you started leading into the in the West you start to lead into the Renaissance and stuff like that in the 1500s. But like if you look at American history, like I can't imagine a version of this game that's based on say the revol- like the big three I think in American history, in part because I think they make America look the most good to be honest. Uh, historically, are the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. And the World War II are like the three big ones that you have games or stuff based around. And you do have video games based on that, but I can't imagine a game like this based on that. You have the Revolutionary War where, yes, we've passed things up with England since then. Uh, <laughs> we are in somewhat better terms now than we were in 1776. Uh, you have the U.S. Civil War where there is a very clear, you know, uh, side fighting for eventually, you know, uh, ending enslavement versus perpetuating enslavement. Um, so there are very clear moral lines there, even though there are some folks who will debate that. It doesn't make you a bad person if you're from a southern state or anything like that. So let me just be clear about that. And then, uh, obviously, World War II, in which Japan is generally seen as a on the, on the wrong side of history for that, which would kind of disqualify that as a, a candidate anyway, I'm sure. But you look at those three, and I cannot imagine a version of Pokemon Conquest that is centered around figures from that, like... Yeah, it might sound great to have like a George Washington with a Pokemon, but then you have to have, you know, Benedict Arnold or I forget who all the British commanders were. You know, you go to Civil War. A lot of folks are, will object obscenely to playing. They don't want to play as Robert E. Lee commanding around a Pokemon to conduct his battles or something like that. <laughs> and say nothing of World War Two. You know, it's 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 I cannot see a thing like that. So it just seems like a, a big difference here. Not like I said, there are. A fair number of games that either use a area themed around or literally based on events in, say, medieval Europe, that is a bit more common there. And is maybe more analogous to what happens in Pokemon, sort of the dynamics in Pokemon Conquest. But it still feels different to me. Yeah. Now, we have mentioned some of the other Nobunaga's Ambition games. Obviously, those are those play a little more serious. They also have some other aspects, some more resource management type stuff within, like, your your feudal kingdom or whatever. You have to manage, you know, crops and, and laborers and stuff like that. And you have some other options, whereas this is more or less just straight battling uh, with very minimal exploration or anything else like that. I don't know. And what are your kind of thoughts on that? I think... If it wasn't so minimal, like if if it had more of an overt impact or if there was more variety and more to do with kind of all the side stuff, I think I would have been into it more and like, you know, really put together a strategy. But since it was kind of not as integral, like I hardly ever developed like the farms or anything. I... I just went and battled till I dropped every single time. Um, but yet, I love those kinds of strategy things. Like, I I love me some Age of Empires and, like, you know, building up your civilization um, and how that – how taking care of your the community strengthens your army and things like that. So I feel like if it had been a little bit more developed, I would have really loved it. But I also see that they were kind of paring this game down so that very young kids could play. So they may have wanted to make it so that you could just deal with the basic battle mechanics and still be okay, which 
ended up to being that's all I ended up doing. And lo and behold, I was okay. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you've played this, I wouldn't say like you're totally ready to do a total deep dive into other games in this series. There are some major differences, especially with the modern ones that are more are not grid-based and so on and so forth. And in a way, this game is actually kind of structurally a parallel to um, Pokemon Masters and that that every one person in the game, they can switch between them, but they all have one Pokemon they're commanding at a time. It's a very one-to-one, kind of like the sync pairs in Pokemon Masters. So it's it, in a way, it's more parallel to that, um, although the structure of the game it, it still has a lot of differences. Yeah, I actually have um, a DS or, or a Game Boy Advance game, actually, of Yu Yu Hakushu Tournament Tactics. And it actually follows this kind of gaming structure very similarly as well. So I think there are a lot of games that kind of use this style of, of gameplay um, at varying levels of difficulty. But uh, going back to the Pokemon side, I mean, they do bring in a lot of mechanics. There are... This is before X and Y, so there's no fairy type. So there's 17 kingdoms, one for each type that existed at the time, uh, which I guess is a nice coincidence. I think there's also like 17 kingdoms in the in the main Nobunaga's games or whatever it is or something like that. Is So that just happened to work out very well. Or they fudged it a little bit. I'm not sure. And can clarify on that in a moment. Now, each Pokemon only has one move they can use, although they each like person has their own special warrior ability, and you can also carry an item for that Pokemon to use during battle. But it does bring into that stuff, and they have abilities as well, so I think they did a pretty good job there. I think there's that's one reason that the, the game differs a fair bit from other Nobunaga's Ambition games structurally so much, is that they d- did really work hard to bring in as much Pokemon stuff as they could. Was that your impression, Nan? Yeah, um, and, and it was very interesting to see, like, the logistics and the ideas behind which historical figure got which Pokemon and which land did they live in and how did they use their items and, you know, what were their tactics. There's a lot of care that went into this and a lot of interesting applications to battle strategy because of it and um, and to the loving of history, depending on how deep you want to dive into these historical characters. Yeah, yeah. As we've kind of implied before, is that a lot of the characters you meet in this game, while they definitely take liberties with their appearance and things like that, a lot of these names are, you know, actual Japanese historical figures, despite the fact that this game exists in a region that is technically not Japan. You know, they do have some historical parallels. I did find, uh, as I was researching this, a video from a history-based channel who, uh, someone who runs the channel who really loves this game. Um, And he had a lot of interesting things to say about the different characters and stuff like that. That that was uh, a fun watch, and I'll try and link to that in the episode notes when I put this out on the feed. But I think they did a pretty good job there, but... Going back to the to the moves things, because you only have one move and it has a very specific pattern, you could sometimes end up in a case where you had very limited or even no options. If you actually ran out of, like, if you didn't have any moves that could damage your opponents, they would actually kick you out of the battle as a defeat. Like, how do you feel about them sort of paring that down, Anne? Um, I mean, I don't know how to say what I feel feel about it like it's different for sure than um the main series games and maybe different than some other games it it took some getting used to for sure like when you like win um 
a character over to your side and you're like, all right, let's go into battle. And it's like they have like an Igly buff or something that only knows how to put people to sleep. And you're like, well, there went that. Like, like it took a lot of getting used to. I don't know if I mind it. It adds a complication. But once you learn to work with it, then like it becomes a challenge to overcome, I guess. Like, I didn't mind it. I it just it just was different. Yeah, and I guess the other major mechanic we should talk about, like, as I mentioned earlier, although each person has one Pokemon they're using at a time, you can, we don't have Pokeballs or anything like that, but you can effectively catch Pokemon using what's called the link mechanic. And some Pokemon can uh, level up higher with certain characters than others. You have like a max percentage there, and one of your goals there, especially if you do the bonus content, is to try and find some of the perfect links where they can go all the way up to 100% power with that Pokemon. I don't know, how'd you kind of feel about those mechanics, Anne? That was interesting. It kind of goes against my my grain as a disciple of the anime, where every Pokemon is special and every Pokemon can learn to be a champion and a good trainer can train any Pokemon. I was like, what do you mean my perfect match? It, it, it defeated my desire to just take on Ranmaru with a bunch of Magikarps. But, like, it was kind of fun to kind of just explore that and to find the characters and to, like, I don't know, find the Pokemon that the game thought would be their perfect match and to think about why that is. And, I don't know, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it, but it did uh, give me a lot of interesting food for thought. Yeah, and the game does help you out a little bit when you encounter these Pokemon, like, not in the main battles, but where there are some wild Pokemon about it. When you have a character selected, uh, the other Pokemon will have a symbol that's usually either a bronze, silver, or gold medal that tells you how good a Link that is, so you know, hey, I need to see if I can get this guy over here and then link up with this other Pokemon, because they're going to be really good if I uh, put in the effort to level them up and Mm -hmm. so on. So it does give you some clues about that. It did take me a little while to figure out, oh, that's why it's not powering up anymore. I've reached the maximum percentage for this this pair. Um, so i got to find someone else for them. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, I, I don't know, an interesting area to explore as far as tactics go, for sure. All right. Well, we've been talking about sort of the initial story, not sort of the main story, the initial story. Because it turns out, if you want to put the time into this... There is a lot of content in here. Anne, you said that you went through everything because there's like a true ending and all that fun stuff there. Obviously, you like this game a lot if you went through that much. I think after I beat the the initial story uh, for this uh, revisit, I did do one or two of the other chapters in there just to get an idea of what they were like. And do you want to maybe call out a few of the bonus chapters or whatever they're called that uh, really uh, you really liked? Yeah, so honestly, with the bonus levels, they can get really repetitive if you do them all. But uh, luckily, I really liked this game, so I was fine with it. One one of them was that that kind of stuck out was there was a all all women sort of contest, and, and it, it's a little it's a little sexist because it's all about like they're trying to prove who's the most beautiful. Uh, and powerful woman in the land, but um, it stuck out to me because it's all the female characters and Ron Maru, which um, is saying a lot right there. And there's also like I don't know, it's just fun, kind of looking at some of the 
different historical characters like Hideyasu or um, what's his name? The guy who kind of after Nobunaga's death kind takes over um, kind of his plans to unify Japan in real life. Um, So you kind of get to play as him and kind of sort of carry on his goals. Um, You've got like one where Oichi's trying to prove herself. You've got one where like Ranmaru as well is trying to kind of prove to himself and to Nobunaga that he is able to be uh, Nobunaga's equal. Um, they can get very repetitive because ultimately you're still just battling to defeat every kingdom in Ronse. But it's fun looking at them through the lens of the historical contexts of like what these uh, people were trying to accomplish in real life and then like framing those bonus content battles around that idea and there were also a couple levels where you didn't necessarily want to win anything like everything like maybe you wanted to like help everyone find their perfect partner or catch a particular type of pokemon or like like maintain balance between three kingdoms and stuff like that so yeah 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 going back to one thing you said in there i do want to point out to our our listeners, that historical context, despite the name of the series, Nobunaga had an ambition to unite Japan. He didn't get to see it in his lifetime. That is true. He uh, he, he got a decent way in there, but I forget if he died in combat or if he had a disease or something like that. Or I think uh, he got assassinated, actually, but um, mm. like, let me Google. <laughs> Yeah, I forget, but he did not get to one of his uh, one of his followers or close confidants completed the job after he passed away. So that's what actually happened, and that's another point of military simulations like this: is that there's always a what could have been factor to it. What if this other battle had gone a different way, or if this other person had managed to achieve what they you know unite uh, you know Ronsai in the case of this game, but in real life in you know Japan, what would that have looked like? And uh, how would that, how would that have played out, perhaps? So yeah, if you just beat the initial story, technically that's only a very small portion of what this game has to offer. Now, one thing we should note, uh, you know, we talk about things like Mystery Dungeon, where we're, there's still some rumors there might be another entry in that. I wouldn't be totally surprised if there was. But uh, this game in particular has not gotten any sort of re-release. It hasn't gotten a sequel or a remake or anything like that. And uh, it's hard to say exactly how well it sold. In Japan, it seems to have sold at least a couple hundred thousand copies. Overseas, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it sold super badly, but it seems like it might not have sold super well either. And I think there are a couple factors on that. Uh, one is that it was a very late original DS game. The 3DS had been out for like over a year at this point. And in fact, the Wii U was only a few months away when this game came out in the West. So that's that's one thing that may not have helped it. Also, fifth generation, I mean, usually the second generation on the same platform, whether that's, you know, gold and silver, black and white, sun and moon. We'll see how Scarlet and Violet turns out uh, sales-wise, but it always tends to be a little less popular than the, the first one on that platform. And uh, fifth generation in general has, you know, I, I somewhat unfairly, I think, been maligned in general. Like, I think there may be some legit criticisms of some of the designs and whatnot, but it seems like, I, I, th- I tend to think it was the victim of being the first generation released in the first social media era, but we'll probably talk about that more with our next discussion on the Gates to Infinity and how I think that 
game is severely underappreciated. But we haven't seen anything else from this one. Now, like, I don't think there's any bad blood between Tecmo Koei and Pokemon that I'm aware of. I, I kind of doubt that. I think it's just this game did not sell spectacularly well enough, or they decided they couldn't really figure out where to go with the sequel, since, you know, the Nobunaga's Ambition games, I mean, they only have so much history from that era to use, so it's perhaps kind of a a dead end of sorts story-wise, unless they really want to start making things up. Um, or maybe they consider doing other, you know, historical conflicts and stuff and realize, no, maybe that's not a good idea to do, you know, the Revolutionary War or something that happened, you know, in Europe in the 1800s or, you know, in medieval times or stuff. Maybe that's not a great idea. It's certainly, like, in terms of Middle Ages historical conflicts, this is towards the end of the Middle Ages, but the Crusades are something you definitely do not want to turn into a video game aimed at. Uh, this so there's there's tons of baggage which still resonates to this day from those conflicts, and so it's like the fact that the Nobunaga's ambition series exists within one current day country, maybe it is more just about the struggle for power than for ideals or stuff like that to the same degree. Maybe it works in its favor, and maybe one of the reasons this series works. But as far as getting a um a sequel to this or a remake, maybe they hit a dead end there. I mean, I suppose, you know, the, the action in this game is not completely dissimilar from something like Fire Emblem, which is very popular right now. They could do Fire Emblem cross Pokemon, which I'm sure people have floated both publicly and I wouldn't be surprised if privately. I don't know, do, do you want a different spin on this game, a sequel, and any thoughts there? Um, I kind of feel like it's a one and done in a way that like, I don't think they had plans for a sequel. I think they honestly were like, this is a one great singular idea. Let's make this one great singular game. I do think there is potential. Like just off the top of my head, what about a game where they explore like Yayoi era Japan? And like, it's maybe not as war based, but there is a question of exploring and expanding this island of Japan and uh, discovering new Pokemon and battling to establish a community. And you could like really have developing the farms and the mines and things like that, like come into it. Uh, Japan has indigenous people that were there before Japanese people from say, China. <laughs> uh, like, but, like, there's a lot going on in Japan that I don't know about. But the fact is, Japan does have indigenous people, the Ainu people. Okinawa has a rich cultural history. There is a potential for uh, some people who know a lot more about that than I do for the idea of two cultures meeting in that nation of Japan and it becoming what Japan becomes through the lens of Pokemon that has a lot of rich potential that could have battling without necessarily war-type conflict that could explore a lot. And that's just off the top of my head. I think there's potential, but I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah, we had mentioned during our music discussion we did a comparison to Legends Arceus, and I think some of the ideas, like in terms of culturally and stuff, it's kind of may have matriculated there. Um, in terms of setting a Pokemon game in a specific time period, which this game obviously did, but Legends Arceus did it in a somewhat different way. It's it's structurally more similar to a nor- quote-unquote normal Pokemon game 
but it does have some of those elements there. And people have sort of speculated if we get another Legends game, which given the sales of Legends Arceus seems likely, although, you know, given the cycle they're going on, could be a little while uh, before we see that. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is, you know, American bias, but you have a lot of choices if you did a Unova uh, Legends game in terms of time periods. People said everything from like the colonial area to, you know, the Harlem Renaissance to, you know, Prohibition era or whatever in the New York City area. Those are all very interesting. Like I said, maybe Labias because, you know, we're Westerners, but you kind of, you could probably do something similar with Kalos or Galler. Yeah. And something like that. And that might be the true legacy of some of the ideas in this game. Even if this game never gets a direct follow-up, it is quite possible it's had an an influence on the series in a way like that. That's a really good point. Like, there are so many periods of history that exploring them through a lens of Pokemon would be really enriching and um, provide a kind of a fresh and maybe less emotionally charged take on some of these events as well. Like, I mean, my mind always goes to Japan just because, as I said in the beginning, Japan is not subtle about the fact that Pokemon kind of represents some of the best of Bushido-type ideals and because of that, it can explore explore a lot of um, times and places and ideas in Japan very eloquently and very beautifully. But the fact is that Pokemon, the the just kind of the way Pokemon works, can apply to so many other places throughout the world and so many different time periods, and can kind of bring that same beauty and childlike simplicity and deep connection to like you're right there is so much potential here (laughs) and and even saying that though if you look at the original you know red and blue games even prior to them being you know localized for north america and and the rest of the world there are some definite western influences in there Mm, for real well yeah because you have you know you have lieutenant surge which is the lightning american in the original version they're yep. clearly clearly influenced by Guile from Street Fighter, a Japanese game series, but a, an American character within that franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you know the tomboy mermaid Misty, someone from Game Freak obviously liked The Little Mermaid, which of of course as we're recording this, that remake just got released. So and then you have like reviving fo- Pokemon from fossils, like which you know didn't probably originate with Jurassic Park, but. That movie did come out during the development of the original Pokemon game, so... Yeah, yeah. Pokemon's always been sort of a mishmash, even though it, it does have a lot of Japanese influence, especially early in the series. Not sure exactly where I wanted to go with that, but I kind of wanted to just point some of that out. You're right. Like there's, a, there's, there's ties to the whole world. But I think another reason the music in, in Legends Arceus is different is, first of all, the game is structured very differently. We'll, we'll maybe talk more about that in our game discussion, but just to briefly say, in Legends Arceus, while there are battles, the game is not as focused. In fact, during a lot of the game, you're actually exploring or even sneaking around to try and take care of tasks. So the volume level, I guess you could say, is a lot different. There's also a fair amount of music that I think is Sounds like it comes straight out of the the game set in the more modern era, you know, like Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, which came out a few months before Legends Arceus, uh, so on and so forth there. So the the main Nuobunaga's game also have a lot of, like, resource kingdom management stuff that isn't present at all in, in this particular, in Pokemon Conquest. 